0: Buglers, we are live from Leicester Square Theatre on the 16th of September with Chris Addison and Alice Fraser. It might be our only London date of the year, so get your tickets now. Oh, get them at buglepodcast.com. That, that bit's important. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care.
1: Welcome to the final Bugle Ashes Alzgast of 2023. It is all over. <laughs> there is no more there's no more test cricket for, for months now. The focus of the world turns to things like the the the, the 50 over World Cup just coming in October, November, the the, the hundreds competition that um I've, I've been reliably informed has just started. <laughs> The heat death of the universe and the general sense that humanity is entirely doomed. And, you know, I I really need Test Cricket to stop me thinking about all that stuff. And now now it's not there. It's not there for months. And all I can do is just reflect on quite what a f***ing amazing six weeks this Ashes has provided us with, and particularly provided me with in my ludicrous job doing stats on uh, BBC Radio. It's been... uh, completely joyous experience to be honest for someone who's been obsessed with cricket since the age of 6 I got quite emotional at the end not the fact that England had won or the fact we have seen Stuart Broad dancing off into the sunset in one of the most fantastically glorious ends to a career I mean it, it was up there with Alistair Cook marching off with a with a century in his last innings against India uh, in 2018 but Cook then had to stand in the field for a day and a bit while England bowled themselves to victory Broad got to do it with the last ball of the of the Ashes he, uh, he, he took the Ashes uh, tying, I mean, I oh, know we don't get the urn, but the series tying wicket. But it was more just the the fact of having seen something so incredible over a, a prolonged period of time um, <laughs> doing the thing that I love most in the world, with all due respect to the other things that I do in the world. Um, <laughs> it was uh, it was wonderful, to be honest. And to put in context quite what an incredible series this was, I'm just going to pick up on a couple of stats that we've talked about through this series. Uh, one is close finishes. England won by 49 runs um, and it was sort of closer than that because Australia got to a position where with still seven wickets left they only needed another 120 before uh, pretty much the first dramatic middle order collapse of the series. Um, and uh, it was the fourth game out of five that has won been won by a margin of uh, under 50 runs or by three or fewer wickets. Now, there were no games like that in the entire 1960s (laughs) and 70s put together and in the entire history of Ashes cricket. There's been, on average, one every 14 matches. So that's almost one every three series, pretty much, um, that you've had to wait for a game like that. And we've had four in five games over the space of a month and a half. It has been uh, a remarkable time to be watching cricket. And these games have been close all the way through the gaps on first innings. Seven runs at Edgebaston, 91 at Lords, 26 at Headingley, 12 at the Oval. Just the one game at Old Trafford, the 275-run first innings shellicking that England gave Australia in that ultimately rain-sogged game. Um, The average first innings gap in all Ashes cricket over the previous 20 series was 171 runs. So to have three games with gaps below 30 and four games with gaps below 100, again, that puts into context quite how unusual and magnificent this series has been to discuss this with me uh, joining me for the final time um, it's, it's producer Chris uh, Chris it was uh, I mean, it was a, it was a fluctuating day on Monday Australia came out having batted so well and not lost a wicket on the the, the curtailed day for Warner and Kawaja having put together the longest partnership of the series suddenly England had the ball they'd changed just before the end of play on day four and it turned out that this ball was not really a cricket ball it was a piece of devious magic uh, <laughs> that that suddenly this <laughs> what had been a rather sort of moth-eaten uh, sorry bit of leather it became his hard-moving organ of australian destruction and there's been a bit of australian uh, complaining about that which is sort of understandable uh, chris but yet another glitch in the narrative that, that just added to the
0: to the dramatic tapestry it's amazing, Andy. Uh, hello, by the way. Hearing Australia uh, bemoan something like a, the mighty Australia, <laughs> the, the world test champions, Australia, number one ranked team, the team who win the Ashes every single time, who hammered England in <laughs> Australia, moaning about a ball change. It's like it, there, there, there are they had other bigger problems this series. That that I think might involve some human beings on their own t- <laughs> side who would yeah. probably warrant closer inspection. I I don't know. That's that. Just yeah. a, my but, two cents on that.
1: But I guess the the way you'd compare it, and you know, I've never used dating apps. Um, but <laughs> I've been fortunate enough to be, uh, to have been with my uh, my. My first wife. I'm in showbiz. Let's let's call it as it is. But you know, we've now been together for for nearly thirty years. Um, so I've missed the dating app. But essentially, this. I mean, these two cricket balls were like uh, profile. The difference between a profile picture on a dating app <laughs> of a twenty-five-year-old Adonis and a seventy-three-year-old arthritic man turning up uh, to meet you in a bar.
0: I mean, I, I I wonder, would the cricket dating app Andy be Spinder or just Bumble?
1: <laughs> Chris, that is outstanding work. Thank you. Um, well done. <laughs> My
0: pleasure. Um,
1: <laughs> grinder of uh, Grinder, of course, was a <laughs> was an app that put together people who really enjoyed watching extremely dull opening batsmen score hundred off uh,
0: two hundred and eighty balls. You talked about Gary Kirsten's double ton just a day or two ago. Definite one That's for right. Grinder. Yeah, I think yeah. he set that yeah. app up actually. Yeah. Um, from from uh, watching it at home perspective, it was about four fifty-five p.m. Finally, where things started to look like Australia weren't just going to go and win it it was um like it even with the ball change there was still enough ebbing and flowing and Australia having sort of done something comparable in the first test it did I don't know with you in in the um in the commentary box there did you genuinely sense that the Aussies were gonna go and win it
1: Uh, Yes, uh, absolutely. Uh, So not only did they bat really well until the rain on day four, and the rain sort of helped England come back fresh the next (laughs) morning, but then they batted, uh, having lost those three wickets, a brilliant spell by Wokes, about whom we will talk about later, who has generated some frankly extraordinary numbers, and uh, Mark Wood picked up the wicket of Lavashane, um, uh, then there was a really superb partnership between Smith and Head up to lunch. It was an absolutely fantastic session of cricket. The ball was doing a lot, the bowling was brilliant, the batting was superb, and the game was absolutely in the balance. Then the rain created a- another break, and there was a sort long gap before they came back. For what could have been a 47-over session if they got through it, or it might have been the longest single session of test cricket in yeah. uh, in history or up there. I think it was a four hour one in the 1998 uh, Boxing Day test at the MCG when England pulled out an extraordinary consolation victory. Dean Headley bowling England for victory on that occasion. Uh, but uh, but then suddenly uh, a collapse, a wokes and Moen alley inspired yeah. collapse to uh, two delightful people I've, I've been yeah, lucky enough to work with a bit on the radio. And um, it was it was great great, but, and players you thought would might never play Test cricket mm. again. Um, Chris Wokes has ended up uh, as England's player of the series and really the player of the series from either side. Mm. He didn't even play the first two Tests. <laughs> He's ended up with more wickets in the series than Jimmy Anderson, uh, Ollie Robinson, who I think I picked as my key player of the series <laughs> uh, in advance, and Scott Boland, who was viewed to be a potential. Uh, a, Series shaping bowl in English wickets, yeah, English English conditions, and Wokes, despite giving them a two-test head start, has overtaken their collective. Their collective tally. Now, uh, and also, we, we talked, I mean, one of the reasons that Boland didn't do so well, aside like, from you know, the way England plays, we, we talk about him being a good bowler for English conditions. We haven't had English conditions. The pitches haven't moved, the balls haven't done much. And yet, Wokes, who is the archetypal England bowler in this series, which has essentially been a batter's series, has ended up with uh, 19 wickets at an average of 18. <laughs> it's one of the most extraordinary individual performances. Um, and I'll explain quite how extraordinary it is because being Chris Wokes, it doesn't completely leap off the scorecard. He got six, six and seven. He wasn't arguing like he was taking 12 wickets in a match. But it was, you know, if, if you could call the second half of the series Wokes' ashes, I don't think that would be entirely inappropriate.
0: Um, it is weird, the, the emotions going around both sides of a two-all draw. Yes, I, I did. I, I sent you you something uh, earlier earlier on, which was sort of my, the the Skinner combined eleven. And I've been arguing with a few of my Aussie friends about it as well. I had eight England players, three Australian players. Wokes obviously, you know, in there at, at number seven or eight, TBC. Um, the, the most the Aussies would push back on was that they would have four Aussies in the team, yet it was a two-all draw. <laughs> like wh- what? What's happened?
1: well yes it's a it is quite a strange one isn't it and you know pat cummins we did a combined team on the bbc and they were a a bit different about it in that they sort of picked the best number three from the series at number three rather than picking you know the best three players uh, batters about three four and five so we end up with labashane at uh, three for example pat cummins got in that and now he's ended up with not particularly impressive stats and you know took an absolute battering the last the second half of the series Uh, up to the Leeds test Cummins had had one innings in his entire career 96 innings I think it was in which he'd gone for more than four and a half and over then starting with that um, expensive sixfer uh, that looked to have given Australia control of the Leeds test Um, uh, since then five innings he's gone over four and a half and over in a row Uh, so yet his performance in the first two tests was a massive part in Australia being two 0 up. So it depends how you judge performance. Again, you can look at averages, they don't really tell you the story of of impact. Um and uh say so Zach Crawley uh has ended up well, he's ended up with, with with a good average and a lot of runs. But as I mentioned before, his consistency has actually been highly influential, even though scores of thirty or forty, you know, you have the thirty three and forty four at Leeds were actually massively influential in a low scoring low scoring game. So um yeah, it's quite hard to, 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 to yeah, it's quite hard. I mean, it's always hard and also pointless making composite ele- uh, uh, 11s, albeit, albeit fun. But I think it does show how, essentially, England have been uh, sort of battering Australia for five tests. Australia have gone rope-a-dope very successfully in the first two tests and progressively less successfully as the series has gone on.
0: Uh, uh, for me, Cummins, and I would add Travis Head, and in, in a similar way, Mitchell Marsh. Is it not that, like, they ran a marathon at five k pace, or, or rather, they started it at five k pace, and then three hours later, sort of vomited over the finish line. It felt that <laughs> like was more what had happened.
1: Well, that's an interesting way of interesting way of putting it. Um, yeah, I mean, it did seem that I, I, I don't know how many cause there was a lot of talk about. You know, the, the condensed nature of the, the cricket, and clearly it was very condensed. Mm. There have been, you know, more condensed periods of Test cricket, maybe not under quite the same sort of scrutiny and pressure as modern sport is played under, and all these sort of added uh, faffing around with media that is, that is, that is required. And, um, but England did definitely progressively get on top of Australia, and I think the fact that they had two fresh bowlers coming in midway through the series mm. to make a, a huge difference gave them a significant edge. In those last three tests. Shall we talk a bit more about Chris? Can we just have a Chris Wokes Stat Whack? All day. Okay. Stand back. It's a Chris Wokes Stat Whack. Chris Wokes took 19 wickets at 18.1. He became the first English bowler to take more than 12 wickets in an Ashes series at an average below 20. Since 1985, when Richard Ellison... The Kent Swingster hooped his way to uh, 17 wickets in the final two tests of the series at an average of uh, just under 11. To find an England bowler with a better Ashes series average, having played at least three games in a series and bowled at least 50 overs, you've got to go back to 1978-79, Mike Hendrick and Jeff Miller. But that was against essentially a third-string Australian team. And before that, you've got to go back to Derek Underwood, another Kent player, left-arm spinner in 1972, took 20 wickets at 15.1%. Here, for me, is uh, my favourite stat uh, of this Chris Wokes statwack. The full list, Chris, of England seamers with 18 or more wickets in a Home Ashes series at a better average than Wokes's average this summer contains not two, not three, not four, but one bowler. And that is Surrey's medium-paced magician Alec Bedser who took 39 wickets at 17 in 1953. And since 1989, when Terry Alderman... Uh, nibbled England mm. to distraction uh, Only one bowler on either side Has taken more than 12 wickets in an Ashes series In England And averaged less than Wokes did this summer And that is Glenn McGrath One of the greatest bowlers of all time Who took 32 at 16.9 in 2001 I haven't finished my Chris <laughs> Wokes that whack yet I do hope you're enjoying this uh, Wokes fans uh, He took 6 wickets At both Headingley and Old Trafford Followed by 7 at the Oval He's only the third England bowler To take 6 or more wickets In 3 consecutive tests during a home Ashes series, that's after after Bedser in '53 and Jim Laker in 1956. Um, the only England bowlers to achieve this feat in a way Ashes series since the First World War are uh, Darren Goff uh, in '94-'95, John Snow in 1970-71, and Extreme speeds to the Frank Tyson in 1954-55. So there you go. Here endeth the Chris Wokes stat-wek. Uh I hope that puts in perspective quite how extraordinary he individually has been within this. Extraordinary series.
0: Oh, he's, he's amazing, and and, and look, I, actually, I I think it was him him complimenting Wood. Like the, those two players in combination were um were, were dynamite for England. Then you you mentioned Glenn McGrath and his amazing Ashes record. I had I I kept flicking between depending on what I was doing the radio and the the TV for the, the coverage. And obviously, you spent a lot of time with Glenn. He sounds like a fantastic man. You know, I, I I'm not there to judge at all. He had a moment. In the commentary, just when the pendulum swung sometime between 4.55pm and 10 past five, and it was on commentary of Isha Guha, who um, said something to him along the lines of, it's looking bad for Australia, isn't it? And there was just silence. And <laughs> and, then she, and then she had to Glenn? And then all of <laughs> a sudden, he snapped into life as the... The, and I, I, I loved it. It was like, you know, as much as he was being professional, you know, trying to be a professional commentator and analyst. There was there was so deeply Australian and hurt, you know, that, that was going through him at that moment as he could couldn't even bring himself uh, to speak. Having probably 60 minutes ago thought we're on for this now.
1: <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, yes well I, I I can't actually remember that moment. I think I, when wickets are falling like that I'm quite busy with my my scorecards yeah. and my that was for like four wickets in 19 balls after a series in which largely bowlers have had to just chip away gradually and and sort of wait for you know force things to happen and then suddenly this this spectacular um uh, cataclysm of Australian wickets. Um so yes I think yeah I I guess having been 2-0 up There was an assumption that Australia would win this series, and that is a fair assumption, because no team has come from 2-0 down to not lose a series since the 1950s. The last team to do it, uh, to come back from 2-0 down to draw, was South Africa against England in 1956-57, and uh, I think England were only the fifth team uh, to do that. Only one team has come back to win it, Australia in 1936-07, Ashes. But even to come back from 2-0 down to draw a series is uh, is extremely rare so yeah I guess and it also just been such an emotional collection of games because a close test mm. match does grab you by the soul and I think by the end everyone was at a sort of peak of emotional exhaustion uh, plus you had the you have the, the um, Stuart Broad bowing out from test cricket uh, I know Aggers knows him really well so that was quite an quite a emotional yep. moment for him as well and it was uh, yeah anyway the whole thing was slightly overwhelming I think for quite a lot of people <laughs>
2: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
0: <laughs> so, you know, obviously, draw- draws aren't an acceptable thing in sport anymore. And no. um, a- as not. we found in the World Cup between England yep. and New Zealand, uh, they decided that they couldn't share the trophy. They tied the extra over, didn't they? That's yes, what happened to that's say. right. So they tied yeah. the extra over... Yeah, so, so what the happened
1: then was, was that you know, I was on the TMS commentary then, and it got to the point where we, were, we started the, uh, the Super Over, and then someone turned to me and said, Andy, what happens if the Super Over yeah. is tied? Because sometimes they ask me for things like that, and I thought to myself, I haven't got a clue. So <laughs> I just made something up. I said, uh, "Well, uh, it's going to be decided on who set the most boundaries." Clearly, the ICC hadn't uh, thought of anything either. The MCC hadn't thought of anything. (laughs) They were listening to the radio, and uh, they went with it. Uh, I mean, that's not factually true, but it might as well have been true uh, because (laughs) I mean, it was partly because uh, when people discovered that that was the way they were going to decide it, it made so little sense Mm. that people couldn't quite believe it. The idea that you would decide a game of cricket on such a such an irrelevant metric really when yeah i guess you could have decided it in in one day cricket on who bowled the more dot balls uh, which you know is equally as relevant as who hit the most boundaries but anyway uh, it, it was one of uh, the greatest english sporting victories in which we managed to win neither the actual game uh, nor the <laughs> tiebreaker and won it on an arcane piece of legislation that no one had read it, you you don't get more british than that
0: and you call it arcane and irrelevant but i would throw to you there's one way to settle the ashes now uh, let's do a boundary <laughs> count back
1: right well now this depends how you do it chris if you do it on total boundaries australia hit more uh quite quite a few more uh if you do it on sixes england hit more 43 to 31 uh which was um uh, and the total was a record for any test series that 74 uh total if you do it on balls per boundary england win but total boundaries australia wins so uh, I don't know how you want to. Uh, I mean, if it's done purely on total boundaries, as the World Cup final was, then Australia have won the Ashes.
0: Did four buys count as a boundary in that calculation?
1: Oh, that's quite oh, quite a lot of them. No, no, I didn't count the four. But if it's done on m- more buys conceded, uh, England win. we uh, and Johnny Bertha can take a lot of credit for that yeah. uh, for conceding more <laughs> buys. <laughs> I mean, most of them weren't his fault, as most buys aren't wicketkeeper's yeah. fault, which is why we don't really bother about them uh, bother with them as a stat. Uh, it's. Uh, and, uh, any other ways you'd you'd uh, you'd like to decide the SGSM? Because you know, as you say, it's quite unsatisfying. I mean, other than know, Wokes and
0: Cummins doing something like some kind of beauty off, like making right. them, you know, do a swimsuit competition. Right. I, I I don't know who
1: who. What well, you saying? Who is the most clean cut?
0: Who Who is the the most beautiful, fantastic <laughs> looking, brilliant man? Right, uh, uh, you know, both, both both of those guys. If my wife left me, I'd be like, fair enough. <laughs>
1: Family show, Chris. <laughs> They're not pieces of meat.
0: <laughs> that that being said, okay. Uh, I mean, maidens, wides, nobles. Is, is there a clear winner in one of these? Uh,
1: ooh, well, maidens. Uh, yes, I mean, if you uh, want highest proportion of overs in which you've conceded runs, Australia romped to victory. I mean, that would be quite a weird way of deciding a series, but they <laughs> just couldn't stop England scoring. Yep. Largely because they didn't try. They set those passive fields that worked for them in the early games, didn't really work for them uh, that well thereafter. Uh, 34 maidens in the series. As I mentioned on a previous uh, results cast, the previous record for an Ashes series was 56 in the one test Ashes series of 1887-88. Um... So, yeah, I mean, it was quite an extraordinary achievement to bowl as few maidens as that. Uh, it was pointed out to me by a friend of Mark Steele, uh, John, uh, who uh, was there on uh, the Thursday, uh, uh, who was there on the fourth day, and uh, Tom Vivers of Australia in the uh, infamous 1964 Old Trafford test when both sides scored above 600 and the world started turning discernibly less quickly due to the mm. absolute tsunami of tedium unleashed uh, during that game. Uh, Tom Vivas bowled 36 overs in one innings for Australia in that, and uh, that is uh, more maidens than Australia as a team managed across five so tests. he bowled 36 maidens? Yes, he bowled over 90 overs, 36 maidens <laughs> in one innings. Crikey. England, uh, it was... Both teams got over 600. It took England 293 overs. Uh, uh, I think um, it was not just... The dullest cricket match ever played, or certainly up there. It's got to be up there. It's got to be on the podium. It might be the dullest thing that's ever happened in the history of humanity.
0: Okay, so on the exciting side of things, obviously we're you know we're preparing for uh, you know one day world cups, the hundreds, the, the the glory of all that kind of thing. Was there a game here where after the first twenty or fifty overs, any of any of the innings where Australia had scored more quickly? <laughs> Than England, if they, I mean that's as legitimate way as a boundary count back, like score after twenty overs, score after fifty overs.
1: Well, if you want most runs after fifty overs, uh, well, there were nineteen team innings in this series, and the uh, of those nineteen, uh, England batted nine times. They have nine entries in the top ten highest scores after fifty overs. <laughs> uh, but the first innings at Leeds, Australia had the edge, two twenty for four. Played England's 213 for nine. Ooh. Now, uh, after their 224, they then collapsed to Mark Wood's um, searing pace. So, uh, yeah, England. Uh, if you judge it after the score after 50 overs, unless you happen to pick first innings, it leads out of the bag. Uh, England are taking that every time, and the the gap between the teams on scoring rates. And this is uh, again a stat we've been tracking through the series: 4.74 to 3.35 mm. in the end, 1.39. Runs per over difference, the fourth biggest ever in a Test series, and the three series above it were all series in which one side got well beaten. England, Pakistan, late in 2022, leading the way. Although the games were quite close, uh, certainly the first the uh, first couple of Tests were, were reasonably close, but then England got completely on top in the third Test. But it was a 3 0 win, 2.18 runs per over superiority England had in that in that series. Uh, but it is way way ahead of any other Ashes series in in runs but over discrepancy. The dot ball difference, 15%. Uh, England scored off 40% to Australia's 25%, the third biggest ever in any mm. Test Series, and again, the biggest ever in the Ashes. So if you're going on those metrics, most dot balls, uh, bold stroke faced, um, well, England
0: comes out on top. Well, conclusive. Um, we'll have to write to the ICC and suggest... Yeah, I'm not sure that's...
1: that's but, but equally, you, you could, uh, you know, if you, if you decide it on fewest dot balls, bold, in an effort to keep the, the kids interested... Uh, Australia take that so uh, <laughs> again but you know if we're going by the logic of the World Cup final you could just pick out a random just anything random from from this series you could pick out you know longest time taken to put on pads before sh- fielding at short leg because you've got to tuck them under your trousers and some players are clearly better at it or have baggier trousers yeah. or tighter trousers than others you could you could at most clunks on the helmet that was there was a lot on both teams there, um, I mean, it's they would be as sensible as the the boundary count back in the World Cup final.
0: You could make the umpires, umpire, they could they 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 could make an official decision. We could just say to Joel <laughs> Wilson, and you know from some of my WhatsApp conversations, I think uh, the Aussies would say that England had that one in the bag. So, um... <laughs> Andy, one thing that stood out for me was the age of players on both teams two england players officially retired at uh, at the end of the test in, in broad and Moine. anderson can't be far away stokes is still working and obviously has no intention of going but i don't know how much longer we're going to see him wood or wokes australia warner smith you know even stark is pretty old for someone who bowls at that that pace now um are, 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 what is it with old players have we just seen a lot of players for the last time Or actually, do you need to be in your mid-30s now to be great at Test Match Cricket?
1: (laughs) Well, that's a good question, Chris. There was a a, a curious stat from this series. We had 12 players on the Honours Board. I think I might have mentioned this in a pre-... I I get confused as to (laughs) where and when I've talked about these stats. I've been talking about nothing but cricket stats for two months. Um, 12 players who scored either 100 or took a five-wicket haul. None took more than one. Uh, none got on the honors board more than once, and that is uh, unique in Ashes history to have more than nine players score a hundred mm-hmm. or take a five for in a series without at least one of those players having two honors board entries. That is a niche stat, but it does sort yeah. of highlight how there was no sort of dominant player, maybe apart from uh, Wokes with his uh, those stats I was talking about earlier on. Um, but of those twelve, um, all but two were thirty. Years or older, and Lavishane was 29. The only one younger than 29 was Zach Crawley. Now, so we only had two honours board entrants below the age of 30, and since 1926, there have only been two other Ashes series with as few as two sub 30 year olds on the honours board. So, that in a very niche way is confirming your point. This has been an Ashes for the older, more mature player, mm. but as we see across a lot of sports, particularly tennis. Uh, the nature of sports science and, to an extent, finance and physiotherapy and schedule management that we see mm. with the England team has does prolong players' uh, careers in a way that um, it didn't used to happen. So it's, it is possible that Chris Wokes at 34 is, in real terms, um, a 17-year-old tearaway.
0: Well, I mean, you talk about uh, experienced players. I went on Crick Info to look at their list of contracted players and it must have been some kind of a glitch on Crick Info because Chris Broad came up.
1: <laughs> um, so that is really well, pushing the ages. Yeah, but I mean, I think, to be honest, he deserves another go with England because he was one of the most ridiculously deselected players in English cricket history. Uh, if I may go on a, a rant about one of <laughs> my pets, peeves from the 1980s, Chris Broad, 600s in 18 months, three in each of two consecutive winter seasons, never got a home century, but he had 600s in 18 months from. Uh, at the start of the 86-7 Ashes to the uh, the end of the 87-8 eight, uh, winter season. Then in the first test against the West Indies, scored a very good half century. In the second test, he got Norton one and was dismissed on both occasions by Malcolm Marshall, <laughs> who, as cricket fans would know, is basically one of the greatest bowlers of all time and an absolute poet and magician of the art of fast bowling. And then they dropped him. They dropped one bad game, got out by one of the greatest f***ing bowlers of all time, and cut from the team. Uh, And I think they brought in Worcestershire's Tim Curtis instead. Uh, It was one of the most insane pieces of selection. So if Chris Broad is called back now from his duties as match referee, and I think he's done over 500 tests as match referee, let's give him another go in India. (laughs) so well let's uh wrap it up now uh it's been uh i hope you've enjoyed these bugle Ashes a it has as i said been uh, one of the highlights of my life working on this uh on this series and of course doing these podcasts has been the absolute highlight yep. of that um you know Thank talking you. with chris sitting in a hotel room on my own at one thirty in the morning recording uh <laughs> a, a little monologue uh that's really made it all for me but i do hope you've enjoyed listening to it i've uh, enjoyed sharing my uh my experiences and my, my stats uh, with you. And just to leave you with a few more numbers, uh, it's another series, Ashes series not won by the away team. The away team has now won only one of the past 12 Ashes series. That was Strauss, Strauss's England in 2010-11. Uh, up to 2001, when Australia last won in, uh, in England, from the start of the 20th century, there have been 21 Ashes won by the home team and 21 by the away team. But we have seen home dominance, which is a bit of a trend across, uh, across World Test Cricket, uh, in um, uh, in recent Ashes, obviously not home dominance in this series, but still, uh, England ended up about five, five runs per wicket better off. Let's call it a home win. Uh, this ser- uh, Here was a lovely stat, which we were tracking from quite far out. Only the second series ever of 5-1-1 matches without a run-out. And yeah. uh, the 1998-99 Ashes in Australia uh, was uh, the other. Also, just to mention, I've forgotten this. On the last day, that Ben Stokes dropping Steve Smith, catching it and then letting the ball fall out of his hand as he seemed to be going up to, to celebrate it, it seemed like that would be a moment that would never be forgotten in <laughs> Ash's history. If Australia had gone on to win and take the series 3-1, that would have been right up there with Fred Tate's catch in 1902, which all school children across the world still talk mm-hmm. about. Um, Bradman, f- Bradman's failure to walk in 1946-47. It would have been right up there uh, amongst those, those in- uh, iconic moments. But... Um, We'd pretty much forgotten about it by um, 6.30pm. So um, uh, the oval test was a curious test in that it featured neither a century nor a five-wicket haul, only the tenth Ashes test ever to fail to trouble the honours board, and excluding and draws, only the second in England since 1930. Um, I don't know what you can read into that. Almost certainly absolutely nothing. Uh, And uh, just to think back to the series and how uh, wonderful it's been and how unpredictable it's been, I mean, of all the predictions that you might have made at the start, I mean, two-all would have been quite a widely predicted prediction. But aside from that, how we've got there, with Chris Wokes taking more wickets than Robinson, Anderson and Boland uh, and getting the player of the series, Uh, Zach Crawley, who had failed to reach uh, 20 in 62% of his innings in England's top three, the highest failure rate of any top three player who's batted 50 or more times in the top three. And there's 157 players in that. That was coming into the summer. And then he he and Warner were the two players who reached 20 most often. Seven innings each. Warner didn't convert any of them to, to big scores. Crawley had that one mm. massive innings in Manchester and then a good 73 at the Oval. Um, but Warner had only made it past single figures in two of his 10 innings last time, and he was out for 11 in one of those. Since the start of 2021, more than half of his test innings had resulted in being out before reaching 20. And yet these were the two players who got to 20... Mo- now, reaching 20 is not a stat that we, we care about enough, but I think it should be, because I think for an opener, that is quite a useful contribution. But again, that is just yet another statistical curiosity from one of the most unforgettable uh, test series that has ever been played. Uh, thank you very much for listening to the Bugle Ashes Altcast. Uh We will be back uh, for the 2020... What's it... 2025-26 Ashes, in some form, hopefully... Felicity Ward will be able to rejoin the team then. It's quite a long way away, uh, two and a half years. Um, But uh, I'm already very, very excited about it. The prospect of an England team going to Australia and not instantly collapsing in a heap within 0.5 <laughs> seconds of the start of the series as happened uh, last time and various other occasions. So, uh, that's it. Thank you for listening. Do listen to all the other, other stuff from The Bugle Stable, uh, including The Bugle itself and The Gargle. It's uh, Glossy Magazine sister publication. Uh, thank you to Chris for all his help with this. Thanks to Ped for producing the ones when Chris was on holiday. And uh, see you in a couple of years' time. In the meantime, may the cricket be with you. Amen.